Hey friends, just so you know, we enjoy the swear word and we rely on good old fashioned humor to get through some seriously dark subject matter. At no time do we intend any disrespect toward the victims or families of the victims in the cases we cover. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a few palate cleansing bloopers to reset your mindset. And with that, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Crime Will Tell. I am Jamie. I am Carrie. (gasps) And we are excited to be here. Absolutely. As always. With my bourbon girl. Yeah, it's another bourbon night. Another bourbon night. Clickety-clank. Click-clank-clank. Yeah. Mm. Bourbon on the rocks. It's just been my my jam. I don't know. I'm out of beer, but bourbon's always in it for the win. She's tasty. Oh, she's smooth. Yeah, she treats me right. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready for a tale? Yes. All right. So I'm going to tell you a story about a teenage love triangle and the end of three very promising futures. (gasps) Whoa. Yeah. So this is the story of the senseless murder of 16-year-old Adrian Jones. Now, I want to be very clear because I don't want this to be confused. There's actually two cases involving Adrian Jones. The same Adrian Jones? No. Unfortunately, there is a case about a seven-year-old little boy named Adrian Jones from Kansas who was, like, brutally abused and tortured and killed. And it's, yes. So if you... Google that name. Unfortunately, a lot of what pops up is this horrific case about this poor, poor little boy. Children's cases are... Just just want to be clear that neither of these cases are pleasant. It includes two beautiful people named Adrian that had their lives taken from them. But this is not the case of the little boy in Kansas. Okay. Thank God. Yeah. So we are going to go to Mansfield, Texas. We're taking a little trip back to 1995. And Mansfield is a town. It's a population of around like 8,000. It was little. Yeah. It's it's a small town, but it's kind of, it's just outside of Fort Worth. So it's just kind of a suburb outside, but it's known as a sleepy little town, a close-knit community, the whole bit. Precious, precious little town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody loves everybody. It's safe. Yada, yada, yada. I'm so sorry. I told you to quit vaping. <laughs> it's not it's not cool. But I look like such a douchebag when I do it. I know. And I know that that's awesome, but it's not good for it's your lungs. So Adrian Jones was 16 and she was a junior at Mansfield High School. She was very attractive and popular. She was a great student. She was a member of the cross-country team, and she actually wanted to become a veterinarian. So she oh. had she had big goals. Um, she had a part-time job at a fast food restaurant. Just all around, great person, great kid. Her family was super close, especially her and her mom. They had a really, really great relationship, and she had two younger brothers. I love people who dedicate their lives to taking care of animals. 
I think that says something about their character. Right. Yeah. You're just a good person. So like I said, Adrian was a really great kid. She didn't get into trouble. But like most 16-year-olds, she was kind of starting to test some boundaries with her parents and kind of testing out her freedom, what she could get away with. She'd been sneaking out on occasion to meet up with friends and maybe go to parties or go hang out with her boyfriend. So not great, but overall, she was a really good kid. So she had a boyfriend named Tracy who didn't live in the same town, but he went to a nearby school and they hadn't been dating very long. Um, And since they didn't live in the same town or, you know, attend the same school, it's not really all that surprising that they would want to kind of sneak out to spend some extra time together. So yeah, they don't get to see each other during the day at school. So they got to figure it out. Young love. Um, But she didn't drink or do drugs and she always kept her grades up and, you know, was athletic. And so she was just doing really well, but was just kind of wanting a little bit of independence. Yeah. And it was that sort of that social, that social freedom that she was looking for. Yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. So not a huge deal. And so in the 1990s, Mansfield, Texas was growing pretty quickly and things that had once been considered, you know, big city problems or issues from nearby Fort Worth we're kind of starting to creep in to this mm. small town, mostly gang and drug related activities. You know, they were just seeing more like weird cars and, and drug deals and things going on. So people and things that they they weren't typically used to seeing in yeah. their area. So it was kind of making parents a little bit, a little bit more worried about their kids being out later. And because of this, of course, Adrian's parents had become a little bit more strict with curfews and didn't want her sneaking out, obviously. So they weren't allowing phone calls after a certain time. You know, they were just kind of trying to keep her in the house at night and safe. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what good parents do. So we're going to go to December 3rd of 1995, which was a Sunday, just because it was a Sunday, set in the scene. And so Adrian was chatting on the phone with her boyfriend, whose name was Tracy Smith, and her parents had allowed her to be on the phone a little bit later that night so she could catch up with Tracy because he'd been out of town. And so they were like, we'll make an exception so you can Young catch love. up. I know. Uh, but her normal phone cure few time was like 10 o'clock. So I think that's kind of late. Yeah, so do a I. Sunday I was night, like, that's a school night. If I wasn't in bed at 10, my parents would have been like, what the fuck are you doing? So the normal phone curfew time was 10 o'clock and at 1045, like while she was talking to her boyfriend, Tracy, another call came through on call waiting. Her mom heard her take the other call and, you know, was kind of like, hey, who was that? And she told her mom that it was a guy named David from her cross country team. And her mom didn't think much of it and just went on to bed. So the next morning, this would be December 4th. Adrian's family is getting up and around, just starting their normal day. And her mother, Linda, starts hearing the alarm clock going off in Adrian's room. So she goes in to check on her, but Adrian is not in her room and her bed is still made. You know, Adrian was on the cross country team, so she would sometimes get up early and, and go for a run. So her mom first assumed that that's probably what she had done, but her running shoes were still in mm-hmm. her room. She was like, shit, so that's not it. Um, And one of her friends had come to pick her up for school 
And that's when her mom knew that something was totally wrong. Because anytime she'd snuck out in the past to meet up with friends or Tracy, she had never stayed out all night and had always been home, you know, in the morning. So she called the school or, you know, she kind of waited a little bit and was was starting to call friends and whatever. And she ended up calling school when school was in session. They said she hadn't shown up. And so she ended up calling police to report Adrian missing. Hmm. So kind of at the same time, this is all happening about 10 miles away from Mansfield in Grand Prairie, Texas, a guy named Gary Foster was driving on his property around seven o'clock that morning. And he noticed that one of his gates was down on his property. And this must have been a pretty big place because I I think that I'd read somewhere that he was driving to mail a letter. (laughs) So if you have to like... If you have to drive to your mailbox. Yeah, yeah. And so he just, as he's driving, he happened to see that this gate was down. And so he stops, he gets out to fix it, and ends up finding a body near this gate that was down. How far away was his property from? 10 miles. 10 miles. About 10 miles. So Linda, Adrian's mom, you know, is in this nearby town frantically calling around trying to find her daughter at the same time that this body is being discovered in this really remote area on this guy's property. So police are called to the scene in Grand Prairie, and there is a young female lying on her back. She was wearing a long-sleeved flannel shirt and shorts. She had on socks but no shoes. She had cuts on her legs from barbed wire, and one of her feet was actually like caught up in the wire. like It had probably mm. tri- tripped her. One side of her face was smashed in, and then there were bullet holes in her forehead and in her cheek. Oh, my God. So police noticed that her, this this was just like a detail that was like, oh. so police noticed that her right hand had clenched and grabbed the grass beside her. And so for homicide investigate, investigators, they know that this is a sign that when someone is dying, the body tends to grasp things kind of as just like a last survival mechanism, I guess this would indicate to them that she had been shot and killed at that location. Like that's where she died. Not that she was so that killed was somewhere the scene else. of the murder. Yeah. She hadn't been killed somewhere else and then brought to that location. And so due to the execution style with the shots between her eyes, basically, or one of the shots was right between her eyes. Investigators first assumed that this might be a gang-related hit. Mm-hmm. You know, this might be shit. Now we've got an innocent sixteen-year-old girl who's out on this property. She's got a gunshot hole in the center of her forehead. This is getting bad. This opens up a whole new can of worms, if you will. During the autopsy, they discovered the body had blunt force trauma to the head. Her head was actually caved in on one side. Oh, my God. And the fingers on one of her hands had been completely crushed. Like maybe she was, you know, pulling her hand up to protect herself. They initially thought she'd been hit with a hammer or, you know, some sort of similar similar object. But she was hit with enough force that the head wound would have likely killed her if the gunshot hadn't also happened, like it probably would have eventually either way. She would have killed her. She just may have gotten a little bit farther or, you know, lived longer, I guess. There were also signs of strangulation and she, you know, had some defensive wounds. Like obviously she'd been trying to protect herself. She'd been fighting like hell for her life. Yeah. 
There were no signs that she'd been bound, which was very telling. This indicated that she wasn't forced to that location and likely knew whoever had killed her, you know, that she got in the vehicle willingly. Um, She'd not been sexually assaulted. And so they could kind of rule that out as the motive for the crime. So they're just kind of like, what are we dealing with here? So after the autopsy, the Grand Prairie police sent the details of the victim to other police departments and law enforcement agencies in the area, just kind of hoping to identify the victim. Um, So they hoped that maybe another agency had a missing person that matched the same description. The Mansfield Police Department responded pretty quickly, and the unidentified victim was soon matched with a missing person report filed by Adrian's mom. And so... The body was identified as Adrian Jones. So her family was obviously absolutely devastated, as well as the small community. They were just completely shaken, like shit just didn't happen in this town like that. Yeah. And especially not to someone like Adrian that she was a good kid. Yeah, just popular, was going places. She had big goals. So was this like a drug related or gang related murder? Was she killed by someone? Like, that she knew in her town? Or was there a random killer on the loose? Like, people in this town were just like, what are we dealing with? How scared should we be? And what the fuck happened to Adrian? So, it's just the town is kind of in turmoil. That has to be so surreal that someone that you know or somebody's child that you know was murdered. And the police have no idea what, why, how, where, when. Right. And you said she had two younger siblings? Yeah, she had two younger brothers. Oh, my God. It didn't say the ages, but... Oh, my God. Yeah. That's devastating. Police go to talk with Adrian's parents, who, you know, kind of talked them through all the details of the previous night. And her mom, Linda, had told them that, you know, Adrian had been talking to her boyfriend, Tracy, on the phone, and then got a call from her cross-country teammate, David. So police were like, okay, cool, well start with those two so they go speak with david graham who was 18 and he was a senior at the same high school he was known to be just kind of like the all-american dude great guy great student great athlete yada 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 and he said that he had been home studying with his girlfriend the night before and hadn't talked to adrian on the phone and that he really only knew her from the cross-country team that they weren't friends they didn't hang out socially whatever so Adrian is 16 and she's, I'm assuming, in 10th grade. She was a junior, but she was 16. She was Okay, so she was a young junior. She was 16. David mm-hmm. is 18. He's a senior. And he's saying, I never called her. Yeah. Yet her mom heard her take a call when she was on the phone with Tracy. Yeah, and she told her mom that it was David from her cross-country okay. team. Okay. Let's put that in my back pocket for later. Yep, yep. So they're kind of like, okay, well, I guess we can cross him off the list. And so they obviously go to speak with her boyfriend, Tracy. His whereabouts that night were verified. He'd been home that night and it was able to be confirmed. And he told police that while they were talking on the phone the night before, Adrian had gotten another call. But she told him that it was Brian a guy named Brian, who was another student at her school. So Adrian wasn't being honest with someone (laughs) that night, or maybe anyone. I mean, she told her mom it was one person. She told her boyfriend it was another person. 
So police are like, who the fuck did she talk to that night? Like, she got a call. Who did she talk to? Tracy also agreed to take a polygraph and passed. And so he was cleared. No big deal. So then they're like, okay, well, so who is Brian? She told Tracy is talking to Brian. So who the fuck is Brian? So they focused their attention on a guy named Brian McMillan. Because he was very interested in Adrian. And mm. in fact, was kind of a big creeper. Let's let's be honest. So he would show up wherever she was. And so he worked at a pharmacy nearby the restaurant where she worked. And so he would just show up there a lot while she was working. He was just like always nope. li- lingering nope. around. And it Mm-mm. was. That's fucking creepy. Yeah. And I mean, she was always nice to him, which is taken wrong by some people. Mm-hmm. They they assume. <gasps> She's nice to me. She must be yeah, in love she with loves me. We're going to get married and have 14 children. Yeah. And then it's just like, no, dude. But he, w- he was becoming borderline stalkerish. It, it got to the point that she would kind of hide when she would see him Ugh. approaching just to be able to avoid him. But his infatuation with her made him a pretty good suspect. Yeah. Kind of out of the gate. So his parents brought him in to be questioned by the police. And initially he denied even knowing Adrian. It's like, dude, you go, <laughs> you go to the same fucking school in a very small town. Like, you know her. Um, But he eventually admitted that he did, and police learned that he was actually bipolar and struggled a lot with anxiety issues. So he he was struggling a lot. He also drank a lot of alcohol, and he admitted to being drunk the night of the murder. So his account that night was really super foggy, and police had asked him if they had if he had seen her that night or taken her anywhere, and. He just kind of was like, yeah, it's possible. So he obviously was using alcohol as a way to cope with his bipolarism and anxiety. Yeah. And unfortunately, whenever he's like, yeah, it's possible I could have done it. Like, it just seemed like he was being squirrely as fuck to the detectives that are talking to him. And he did tell the police so that he believed she'd been hit in the head with a hammer. So... Whoa, dude. Uh, Yeah, this was super suspicious because at that time, none of the details about how she'd been killed had been released. So police were immediately like, "Uh, hey, dickhead, guess what? You just earned yourself a polygraph test. And because he was a minor, Brian's father wouldn't give consent. Is that thunder? Yeah. Yeah, I heard that. Whoa. Just got to you. Holy shit. That was scary. (laughs) 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 So, but because he was a minor, Brian's father wouldn't allow for the test. He was like, nope, nope, nope. And good, because polygraph tests are fucking useless. Yeah. And what made me laugh, not laugh, but like one thing that's kind of funny, it just shows kind of a sign of the times is that polygraphs were like kind of the main source of weeding people out in this case. Oh, in the mid nineties. Yeah. Now you're like, no, we're not doing that shit. Cause yeah. Until we realized that they were a bunch of malarkey. Yeah. Yeah. So, but with Brian, based on his very inconsistent statements and refusal of the polygraph, police of course request a warrant for his arrest because he's 
kind of the most obvious. When you tell the police, I mean, I was drunk as a skunk. It's possible I fucking murdered her. Yeah, of course he's going to be suspect yeah. number one. Some big red flags. So I understand why they yeah. kind of latched on to Brian. So they ended up getting the warrant and a tactical team busted into Brian's house at night to issue this warrant and arrest him. And Whoa. they they wanted to, you know, catch him off guard because... He's 16 and he lives with his mommy and daddy. I feel like that might be a spidge overkill. One thing that I read was like their concern was that if he had done it, he would have had access to a firearm. And if he was kind of mentally unstable, they weren't really sure what they would be walking into. Okay. If so, they wanted to kind of catch him whenever they could. So they somehow figured out that there were firearms in the home. Well, whoever killed Adrian shot her. Oh, yes, you're right. Okay, okay. I understand now. They're like piecing it all together. And if he's got some mental instability. Okay. Still in the middle of the night. I mean. Yeah, he's a kid. He's still a kid. I understand. They're trying to protect the public's interests. I get it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Also, I think especially in a small town, there's like always pressure to find a suspect. And get a case solved quickly for peace of mind for the community. That is true. And a lot of times they latch onto one person and And they're like a dog with a bone. So they got a search warrant. They tore his room apart, looked for anything that would tie him to the murder and found absolutely nothing. So he was squeaky clean. Well, yes. But regardless of the search results, police announced that a suspect had been arrested for the crime Oh, but but it kind of it kind of tore the town apart. Some people were like, "Thank God we got him," and then the other half were like, "I've known Brian since he was a kid. Like he wouldn't do this. Like, yes, he's got his issues, but he would not be capable of this." His dad was adamant that he was home the entire night that Adrian had been killed and could not have done it. Yeah, do you really know where your kids are? If you're sleeping, you're unconscious. Do you really know that they're in bed at home? I agree with you, dad, but how do you a hundred percent know that he was in his room the entire night? So it just didn't make for a great defense. And after poor Brian spent weeks in jail, this was over Christmas and new year's. Like he spent this time in jail away from his family. If he is not responsible for this, that is, that is sad. Yeah. Well, his dad, you know, I think was like, Fuck, if you're just going to hang on to my kid, I will allow for him to do this fucking polygraph. Like, if that's what you guys need to do, to do clear it. him. Sure. Yeah. And, and Brian passed. Oh, fuck. So the district attorney's office decided to dismiss the case against Brian, and he was released from jail. He was cleared of being a suspect. What an experience. Oh, my God. I, I feel really sorry for this dude because I... It just seems like he was a loner and just awkward, probably, and completely misunderstood. And a lot of times that's taken as... Mental health challenges. His odd behavior put a big target on his back. And I I do understand initially why they did, but whenever there was nothing tying him, no evidence tying him... They prematurely announced they had a suspect in custody, and then they... uh, Yeah. I mean, they've kind of gone through the obvious suspects and this case went cold. You know, it just it just was open ended and really hard for the small community. And this was all until the police department received a call 
from a Navy judge advocate, which I was like, what? Oh. Which is basically a lawyer in the Navy (laughs) um, from the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And they're like, wait, what? So this advocate calls and they were asking the police if they had any unsolved murders of a young high school girl. And police are like, uh, yeah, we fucking do. And then they were like, hi, we're in the Navy. I'm an advocate, lawyer, and we got some shit to tell you. Oh. And it's also still thundering really Oh, my God. And, and, go on. So we'll cover that in the next episode. Fuck you. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I thought you were serious. I was like, we haven't been going that long. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so Adrian was killed early December 1995. This takes us to August of 1996. Okay. So this is nine months after the murder. The case has gone cold. And it's out of the blue. Yeah, just out of the blue from the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And they're like, hey, so here's here's some shit that we've learned. Diane Zamora, who was a freshman cadet, which are called plebes in the Navy. I had no idea. Plebes? Yeah. P-L-E-B-E-S. That is what they call freshman cadets in the Naval Academy, which I thought was interesting. I have never heard that word before. Yeah. Okay. So this plebe, (laughs) Diane Zamora, was having a late night chit chat with two of her fellow cadets at the Naval Academy. And she was just like, hey, bitches. And was telling them how she was involved with a murder and then proceeded to tell them that her boyfriend, David, who was a cadet in the Air Force Academy, loved her so much that he killed for her. Stop. Awesome, right? I mean, this you know. plebe is sharing this information? Yeah. She's obviously a one upper because one of them was probably like, My boyfriend got me flowers Roses. for Valentine's yeah. Day. And she's like, Yeah, well, my man he killed for me. Kilts. He killed someone. So, who the fuck is Diane Zamora? And how in the hell does she relate to this case? She's in Maryland. This happened in Texas. What the fuck? Well, she was part of the Civil Air Patrol, which is kind of an auxiliary of the Air Force that focuses on search and rescue missions. And so this program was for 12 to 18 year olds. And it's kind of similar to like the ROTC program. Oh, okay. for, For young kids that want to eventually join the military. And this was where she met her boyfriend, David Graham, who was Mm. Adrian's cross-country teammate from Texas. We know that name. Yeah. Fun fact, I was in the Sea Cadets. Aw, look at you. Do you know what the Sea Cadets are? The Coast Guard, right? Or Navy? It's Navy, but the Sea Cadets are for like 12 to 18-year-olds who might go into the military one day, and it's like a military for minors. Nice. I guess I Mm -hmm. had heard the name. I was lying when i was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah know all about it yeah we had to wear the naval uniform and everything it was kind of fun that's awesome i hope that there are pictures somewhere of you in a sea cadet uniform yeah we're moving on okay cool 
So she had met her boyfriend, David, in this program when they were 14 years old. So she's from Texas originally. Ah, okay. And she met David when they were 14 in this program together. So they met there, but they didn't start dating until they were seniors in high school. Oh, okay. And David proposed to her after a month of dating. Proposed marriage? Yes, which is a total lesbian move, David. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so. Wow. That's intense flame right there. Congrats, dude. So he proposed, but they had plans to get married in 2000 after they had both graduated from their military academies. So they weren't like rushing into getting married, but they were engaged. But a month in, he knew she was the one. Diane had dreams of becoming an astronaut. Oh, wow. Good for her. And David wanted to be a fighter pilot. So these two had like big goals, big dreams. Ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Like knew from a very young age they wanted to go into the military and they knew what they wanted to do career wise. It was pretty cool. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Exactly. So Diane was waiting to lose her virginity until she was married. That was something that was like super important to her. Her family was very religious. God bless her soul. Until she fell in love with David. And then she was like, never fucking mind. Let's get this thing deflowered. (laughs) Another raging, successful story of abstinence. She was like, never mind. You're the one. Boom. Let's do it. Just kidding. (laughs) It's like, it never fails. Never fails. Never fails. Turns out that David wasn't Mr. Perfect after all. In November of 1995, so this would have been like the month before Adrian was killed, things had gotten a little flirty between him and Adrian. And they were both like David was seeing Diane. God damn it. Adrian had her boyfriend, Tracy. So they were both seeing other people at the time. There was an obvious attraction between the two of them. And after getting off the bus following a cross-country meet, Adrian asked David if he could give her a ride home and he was like yeah for sure they ended up having sex in the back seat of his car that escalated quickly in the parking lot of the elementary school i cannot think of a more romantic location Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and david had told a couple of his buddies at school the next day but he said like i have to be the one to tell diane like don't spread this around because i have to be the one that tells my girlfriend that. Okay, well, I'll give him a half a point that he was actually going to tell Diane. So, I mean, it's something. But when he tells her that he had been unfaithful, it did not go well. Can't imagine why. Did not go well at all. She lost her goddamn marbles. Rightfully so. Yeah, I would be fucking pissed. Yes. So she tried to attack David. She was banging her head on the floor and the wall, like just went bananas. And so David was like, I'm so sorry. I will do anything to make this right. And Uh. that's when things took a super dark fucking turn. Fast forward to the night of girl chat at the Naval Academy with Diane and her friends One of the other cadets later testified that Diane had told them that anyone who got between her and David would have to die 
and that the girl deserved it. Everyone knew she was a tramp and a slut. Wow. Yeah, right? She also said it just had to be done. Oh, my God. That's so callous. So I'm sure the the roommates were not thoroughly horrified and likely just went right to sleep that night and had the sweetest dreams. Oh, my God. Jesus, Diane. So she dropped that bomb on them. Like, can't even imagine. That's not even fair to drop a bomb like that. That's not even fair. Yeah. Fortunately, these other cadets reported the conversation to the authorities at the Naval Academy. Good. Good girls. Who then contacted the Mansfield, Texas police. They made the connection to David Graham, who obviously had been Adrian's teammate. You know, they had his name in the case notes because they yeah. actually interviewed him following the murder. So they're like, fucking David. Wow. So after getting this information from the Naval Academy, detectives flew from Texas to Annapolis to speak with Diane because they're like, we need to talk to this bitch. And they questioned her about the information that she'd shared with her her lady friends. First, I'm sure she was like pissed that her friends, you know, like ratted her out and reported her. But she just seemed totally stunned that police would even believe that Little Miss Spill the Beans or David could actually be involved in such a horrific act. Mm. So she's just like, what? No. But he does murder for me because that's how much he loves me. So So she said that she just told the story to impress her friends and denied any involvement in Adrian's murder. So detectives were getting nowhere with Diane. So they ended up going back to Texas and Mm. Diane, we need to work on ways to impress your friends because that is not the the route you need to take. Despite her kind of evasiveness with detectives, the Naval Academy put Diane on leave and they sent her dumbass back to Texas until everything was cleared up with the case. So they obviously knew Marked. something was weird and they're yeah. like, nope, we don't need you around here with your shit. Like, Super get sketchy this- business. Get yeah. the fuck out of here because you're bringing some shade and we don't need it. They, they sent her back to Texas, but first she made a trip to Colorado to see her fiancé, David. Okay, so they were still engaged and still together at this time. Yep. Okay. Because she wanted to fill him in on her interaction with the detectives that had come to visit her. So he was probably like, hey, thanks for running your mouth, blabber tits. Like, this was <laughs> supposed to be our big secret. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And But he was... <laughs> He told her, he was like, don't worry about it. I got it. He was in Colorado Springs. Oh, my God, I love you so much. I got you. Yeah, it's fine. I love you so much. It's fine. I love you so hard, and I murdered for you, and it's going to be okay. Oh, my God, it's okay. It's fine, Diane. So detectives go to Colorado Springs, where he's in the Air Force Academy. Okay, so they wanted to speak with David, and were surprised to learn that Diane had made her way out there to give him a little heads up that they would probably be on their way to. Okay. So them. they clearly weren't keeping an eye on her as they probably should have. No. Cause I think that detectives were kind of like, okay, we're not getting anywhere with this bitch. So we'll go with, we're going to go try to find David, but it was the Naval Academy that was like, Nope, you need to go. So I don't know if the Naval Academy and the detectives, you'd still think that the Texas would keep an eye on her. Like, yeah, but if, if, but they're in Texas and she's in Maryland. 
I guess, I don't know. Maybe just, resources to do that. M- maybe it was a resource thing. If it's, I don't know. if she's on a military base, not base, but like part of a military school, like they may not have had any jurisdiction. Yeah. To be able to mm. do that. So it would have taken probably the Navy to be like, no, you go, you cooperate. You're done until this is resolved. I mean, I'm sure the Navy would have worked with detectives, but yeah. I imagine I imagine it was kind of complicated. You are right. The military has its own judicial system. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But still, that seems, it seems lame. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. But so detectives make their way out to Colorado. And David denied the information given by Diane. And acted like he knew nothing about what happened to Adrian. So they're just like Oscars just being handed out all over the place. But he did not know that detectives had some very interesting information that they had gotten from a friend of David's back in Texas. Oh. Yeah. So this friend said that the night that Adrian was murdered, David and Diane had knocked on his window super late that night, like middle of the night. He let them in and they were covered in blood. Oh, he assumed that they'd been in a car accident and were just kind of freaking out and kind of went to the first place they could think of or whatever. But David told him not to tell anyone that they'd been there and not to ask them any questions about what had happened. So they went into his bathroom, they cleaned up, and the friend said that he could hear crying and someone actually like vomiting in the bathroom. So there was like just a lot going on. He's like, the fuck is happening but he was scared and so he never asked any more about it and never told anyone what had happened until nine months later when this is all kind of crumbling fuck so she was directly involved if this is the if his story is to be true oh Ooh, fuck okay mm-hmm. david was being pretty wishy-washy with these detectives but the air force made him take a polygraph They're like, nope, nope, dude. Yeah, the military don't fuck around. They don't fuck around. And he fucking failed. Of course he failed. He's a fucking douchebag. After after detectives then were like, yo, we talked to your friend. David asked if he could type up his own statement for police. So on September 6th, 1996, he ends up typing a four and a half page confession detailing everything that happened. So at that point, he was being very upfront and and honest about what had happened. And so in it, he wrote, and I quote, When this precious relationship we had was damaged by my thoughtless actions, the only thing that could satisfy her womanly vengeance was the life of the one that had, for an instant, taken her place. Oh my God, barf. Yeah. And he also said... Diane's beautiful eyes have always played the strings of my heart effortlessly. I couldn't imagine life without her. I didn't have any harsh feelings for for Adrian, but no one could stand between me and Diane. My God, this guy's a winner, huh? Yeah. Also, his statement, like the the bits that I saw, they were like a romance novel. Like he was like tr- being so eloquent and like the way he's just like describing it all. I'm like, okay, Danielle Steele, calm the fuck down. Okay. <laughs> so police learned that Diane had asked David to kill Adrian. He would do anything. So she was the one that came up with it. Yeah. It was like, here's God how you can make damn. this right. 
And so he felt horrible for cheating on her and he wanted to do anything to make her happy. So he agreed to it. Who goes there? Who goes there? I don't know. Who in their mind is like, do you know what would make this right? Yeah. Murder. End somebody's life. Oh my God. After David made this like riveting confession novel, Diane was arrested for murder and police showed her a copy of David's signed confession. And so then she's like, fuck, I'll give a statement as well. Like, obviously, you got me. I'm busted, whatever. And so in her confession, she said she told David that the purity of their love could only be restored by killing Adrian. So she took it. She owned it. Okay. There is that little, what's the word I'm looking for? Little comfort in the fact that fucking somebody lost their life. Yeah, right. So on December 3rd, 1995, this was the night that Adrian was killed. This This is what police learn from their statements. So that night, David had called Adrian which was the call that she received while talking to her boyfriend. So she had lied to Tracy when mm-hmm. she said she was talking to Brian, but was it being was honest really with her mom. It was David. He had said that he had something on his mind and needed to talk. And so he'd asked her to sneak out that night and he would pick her up. Diane and David initially planned to break Adrian's neck and then sink her in a nearby lake, weighing her body down with gym weights from David's home gym set. So since she had been busted sneaking out, Adrian's dad had actually nailed the windows in her bedroom closed. (laughs) But around 1230 that morning with Diane hiding in the back of a station wagon. So they were in her family's station wagon and Diane is hiding in the like hatch, like the very back of this fucking station wagon And David picks up Adrian. She was actually able to sneak out the front door without her waking her parents since they'd nailed her window shut. So he picks up Adrian. They drive out to the secluded area where they could chat. They're talking a little bit and he pretends that he's going to kiss her while he's motioning to Diane in the back of the car. Like, okay, now's the time. Oh my God. So he grabbed Adrian and tried breaking her neck, which... Isn't like it is in the movies, asshole. You can't just break someone's neck. It's not that fucking easy. I don't know that from experience. I've just, my chiropractor actually told me that. But anyway. Because I'm scared now. (laughs) When I go in for a hug and you're like, ah, (laughs) why am I in a headlock? And I'm just, it's going to be fine. Why are your hands around my neck? Meanwhile, Diane like pulled the hatch in the back of this fucking station wagon and climbs through And so David starts grabbing at Adrian, trying to restrain her. And she's, of course, trying to get away, fighting like hell. So Diane bashes her in the head with one of these gym weights that they had. So it was a gym weight. There were different sources. Some said like a dumbbell. Some said it was like the actual weight like that you would put on. Oh, like a bar? Yeah. So I don't know which it was. I feel like if she was like in the back seat and hit her, like. A dumbbell, a dumbbell made seems more, more, yeah. Would have made more sense, but I kind of both in different stories were, mm-hmm. were listed. So Diane bashes her in the head with his gym weight, but Adrienne was able to open the window and somehow pull herself out of the vehicle. 
So she started to run away, but obviously was like severely injured at that point and, and didn't make it very far. And it, like I said, it looked like she'd maybe gotten caught and tangled up in that barbed wire that probably tripped her a little bit. And so she ends up collapsing in this field and David said in his statement that he wanted to leave at that point, but of course couldn't leave a potential witness. So he walked up and shot her twice in the head and then oh ran back to the car. God. David and Diane both said, I love you. And Diane said, we shouldn't have done that, David. Yeah, no shit. Great time for remorse. She's like a blister. She shows up after the work is done. That's funny. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I like it. So then they went to David's friend's house, cleaned up, put their bloody clothes in a bag, which they threw in a dumpster on their way back to Diane's house. Diane cleaned out the car, which belonged to her parents. Fuck. Yeah. And David recalled being at school the next day when they announced Adrian's death and said he would like see her family around town for all those months before he graduated, you know, and went to Colorado. Oh so God. he apparently felt a bunch of guilt, but never came Good. forward. Yeah. So not Good. enough guilt to, yeah. to confess, but yep. Fucking turd until you absolutely had to. So police found the gun and the weights that were used in the murder in David's parents' attic. So they he didn't have... even get rid of that. Oh my God. No. So they were in the attic and apparently rumors about David and Diane's involvement in her murder were going around the high school, but no one said anything like no one, I guess, thought that it was like legit to take to school authorities or to the police or whatever. So there were like a little bit of rumors, but nothing ever hmm. came of it, which really sucks. Yeah. So the trial was a really big deal and got national coverage and like when i saw pictures of these two i was kind of like okay i remember seeing pictures of their trials like mm -hmm. at the time but i haven't really heard much about it otherwise so anyway diane wanted to have her confession thrown out because she was coerced into giving it in her testimony she stated that she only wanted to meet adrian not to kill her and basically put all of the blame on david which is just absolute dog shit that because, love lasted yeah it's it's very obvious she orchestrated the whole thing and you know they took items the weights the gun they they took things to kill her and dispose of her body when they tricked her to coming out and you know when david tricked her to coming out and meeting him that night yeah they absolutely planned this yeah and you don't hide in the back of a fucking car when do you want to meet someone? Never have I popped out of the back of a station wagon and been like, hey, nice to meet you. Like, what a weird thing to just be like, no, I was hiding back there, but I just wanted to like meet her when we got to this really secluded area. What the fuck? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's a pretty lame story. It's it's real dumb. Any hoozles. Both Diane and David were found guilty of capital murder. Capital murder. Okay. However, Adrian's family did not want the prosecution to seek the death penalty. Mm. They said that the loss of one young life was one too many, and they just couldn't find any sense in two more young people losing their lives. That's that's very benevolent of them. Yeah, that's big. Very big. Um, so they were sentenced to capital life, 
which is a minimum of 40 years. So they'll actually both be eligible for parole in 2036. Wow, that's like coming up really fast, actually. Yeah. Like seeing some of the details about the the trials and stuff, I didn't want to go like into it too much. But the term fully ado, have you heard this? Fully ado? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it means. Yeah. So it's it's kind of been used to describe this case and the relationship between Diane and David. So in French, that means shared madness or madness for two. And mm. the definition is the presence of the same or similar delusional ideas in two persons closely associated with one another. So in this case... Basically, it's unlikely that David or Diane on their own would have Mm. committed such a horrible act. But together, they had the same, you know, delusions that Adrian's death was the only way to kind of wipe the slate clean and be able to move forward and just kind of thought that they would never get caught. Because we'd kind of touched on that before that, like, how, how do people get to this point? And a lot of times that's the term that's used. To describe these people. Yeah. Fully adieu. So it's some scary shit. Also, how do these people find each other? I don't know. But to protect each other and whatever, like people will do some crazy, crazy shit. So David and Diane exchanged love letters for a while when they were in jail, but their true love just fizzled. And Diane married another inmate by proxy in 2003 without ever meeting and david was also married by proxy in 2010 what does marry by proxy mean like you just you marry someone without ever meeting them i'm assuming it's just like you somehow get the paperwork saying that you're legally married but there's not like a ceremony there's no (laughs) like whatever yeah so she so she's she's married to a male inmate at another prison oh Okay. What's the point of getting married when you're in prison? He had apparently, like, they contacted each other, like, through letters or whatever, and then they're like, let's get married. Why? Why? Oh, okay. So that's, that's, I guess, because you ain't got nothing better else to do in prison but marry someone, huh? Mm -hmm. Huh. Is it truly marriage if you haven't consummated it? Well, yeah, because. There's people that are married that are asexual. Oh, that's true. So, and they're, I mean, they're just as in love as other people. So Yeah, you're right. So the answer is yes. Yeah. Yes, you can. Post-trial convictions, all this stuff. There really isn't much about David. I'm assume, I think he's kind of being like an ideal inmate, being mm. a good little sure. Air Force boy. Diane, however, has been a little lawsuit and appeal happy. In oh. prison and has okay. been a little bit victimy. So she stated that her constitutional right to be free from cruel and unusual punishment was violated when she had been moved out of protective custody and into the general population of the prison where she is serving her sentence. She basically said that she wasn't a, like safe around these other inmates because her case was so popular and covered nationally that she'd been threatened and assaulted. Mm. Maybe, but the protective unit is also air-conditioned. Inmates have larger cells. They get televisions. Ah. So 
I so don't she know. wanted to go back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. so in 2018, she lost an appeal to return to protective custody. And this was after she had an unsuccessful civil rights lawsuit in a U.S. district court in 2017. And that judge, Robert Pittman, stated in his ruling that there was no evidence that having a high-profile case entitles a prisoner to transfer to safekeeping. And the evidence of uh, alleged assaults reported by her were not Unfounded. reliable. Yeah, yeah, they just were not reliable at all. So She was just throwing everything at the wall to see if she could get back to that air conditioning. Yeah. And part, this was just kind of a fun little tidbit, but like in her 2017 complaint, she alleged that the other inmates had ganged up on her and her only friend in prison who was, or is probably, Yolanda Saldivar. She is the one who was convicted of killing Selena. I was like, that name sounds so familiar. Yeah. So these two like joined forces because they're like well-known because their cases were so public that like the other inmates are apparently ganging up on them. So she's like buddied up with Selena's murderer. Let me, uh, let me go ahead and cry a tear from my glass eye. Yeah. Right. So that's all. I just thought that that was a funny little tidbit. That is funny. And she's like, wow. my, me, me and my bestie, my prison bestie. My Yolanda <laughs> like, bestie. Yeah. Maybe don't kill your boyfriends. Yeah. Like when you go to prison, it's not supposed to be a cakewalk. Yeah. You're supposed to be doing some time. You're being punished because you took somebody's life. And Yolanda, you snuffed out a Latina gem. So she was a gem. Fuck you. R.I.P. Selena. Yeah, she was just getting started. So anyway, that is the twisted little tale of the teenage love triangle and the very, very unfortunate murder of Adrian Jones. That was a legitimate love triangle story. That had me feeling all kinds of emotions. Anger was a big one. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. Always. Thank you for drinking some bourbon with me. Yeah. And always. Yeah. Whoa, yes. Was, she was real good to me tonight. Yeah. And thank you everyone else for listening. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you haven't done so already. And also rate, review, subscribe. Do all of those cool things wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, anything at all, please feel free to send us an email at crimehotelpod at gmail.com. Definitely. And as always, I know I say this all the time, but we cannot, we cannot say enough about how much we appreciate your support. And some of you out there, you guys are like supporting fools and we just, we can't thank you enough. Yeah. We really, really appreciate it. And yeah. we love you guys. So thank yes. you so much. Yeah. So Goodbye, Carrie. So long, Jamie. (laughs) Bam! Fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts. Oh my god, I haven't seen your fucking face in forever. These old things? Absolutely. It's not as bad as it sounds. I love falafel. (laughs) It should be falossum, because it... (laughs) It's tasty as fuck. I love it. You are a gigantic pussy. So?
It wasn't my belly. It was this under. Other than that, I don't give a shit what you're up to. Damn it, where are my finger symbols? And you'll want to listen for no more than 33 seconds. Guaranteed. <laughs> 33, that's oddly specific, but okay. I just kind of gauged my own interest. No, I was totally kidding. Why are you taking it so seriously? God damn. I am not going to lie. I'm just going to set that right down in my teats for a second. That should be cut out completely. <laughs> nope. Dumbass. Boop, beep, boop. Scrolling, scrolling. Boop, 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 boop.